Thank you for listening to A Call to Freedom, the audio podcast of Freedom Ministries Church located in Apopka, Florida. I'm Pastor Freddie Fillmore Sr., and I want to welcome you to our church. You can watch our broadcast online every Sunday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can also join us for Shabbat prayer every Tuesday at 7 p.m. and Bible study at 7 p.m. on Thursday. For more information on how to watch or to submit a prayer request, please visit our website, acalltofreedom.com, or visit us on social media. The information is also listed in the show notes to this podcast. It is my desire that the message this week blesses challenges and encourage you in your walk of faith. Thank you again for joining us and I pray you enjoy the word. Good afternoon and welcome to Freedom Ministries uh, afternoon worship service. My name is uh, Jerry Gurley and I have the distinct pleasure of being a staff member at Freedom Ministries Church in Apocalypse, Florida, where our pastor is Freddie Fillmore Sr. Today, I'd like to talk with you about the fruits of repentance, the fruits of repentance. But before I do that, um, I want to invite you to join with us every Tuesday at 7 p.m. for our Shava prayer, prayer request time where you can call in or dial in or zoom in however you can connect with us. We would love to speak with you and pray for you and pray with you. So remember that uh, on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. And then on Thursdays at 7, we also have our regular uh, Bible study. That's also uh, on the Freedom Ministries uh, Facebook page as well as you can, read, you can see that on AMBO as well, AMBO TV. Either way, um, I invite you to join in. Uh, for the teaching that we have, the quality teaching that we have every Thursday. Now again, we're going to talk about the fruits of repentance, but before we do that, I just want to take a moment to pray. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, this day uh, for your word, which uh, encourages us to move beyond symbolism and to get to the place of substance. Each and every way and each and every day, we want to be more and more like you. So bless and anoint this time, Lord, those that are out there who have a particular need. Lord, I pray that you would touch that need, minister to them, raise them up if they need to be raised up, encourage them if they need to be encouraged, whatever the need is, Father. I pray that you would meet that need. We ask this humbly and respectfully and confidently in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, and, and, and I would encourage you, whenever you tune in, to, to come uh, prepared to discuss and to hear the Word, because that's ultimately what we uh, want to, to talk about, the Word of God. The Word of uh, Jerry Gurley uh, can only go so far. The Word of a man or a woman can only take you so far. But the words of God, they are transformative. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they give life. So we're here to talk about the word of God. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the chap 
the, the book of Luke, chapter 3. That's the book of Luke, St. Luke, chapter 3. And what I want to do is, is read verses 1 through 14. Now, the backdrop of this story is that John the Baptist has begun his public ministry, and he's teaching in the wilderness. And he is so uh, unique that people are coming out. Some are just coming out to, to, to get a feel because they've heard things about him. He's weird. He's dressed in camel's hair, and he's eating locusts and honey. He's just odd, but yet he's preaching uh, the gospel of repentance in a way that they've never heard anyone preach before. So he's captivating. So on this particular day, what happens is uh, three groups of people come out to, to listen, just the masses, the publicans, and uh, the Roman uh, soldiers who are there occupying Palestine. Because, of course, at that time, Rome had conquered uh, Palestine. So Palestine was just one of the promises that made up the Roman Empire. And, and that has support and context, and we'll talk about that later. But it, now let's look at verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of Iturea, uh, and of the region of Traconitas and Lacinias, or Lacinias, the tetrarch of Abilene, and Annas, the, or Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance. For the remissions of sins. And that word remission means release, forgiveness. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, which is Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, and this is, this is our point of discussion today, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people, now this is the first group of individuals that made an inquiry. And we'll go further into that in, in just a moment. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans. This is the second group of individuals uh, that made an inquiry of him. 
and said unto him, Master, which means teacher, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. And we'll discuss what that means in just a moment. And the last group, the soldiers, and, and for purposes of this conversation, if we could put it in some type of American context, the soldiers were the police. They policed uh, Palestine. They were there to enforce Roman laws and, and Roman uh, stability and, and to make sure that no one was trying to overthrow the government and that people paid their taxes and they, everything just more or less stayed status quo. So they were there and they were not welcomed there and they were not well thought of by the masses. And at times they were very heavy handed. Does it sound like anyone that we know or any entity that we know? Um, well, I'll just leave it right there. So then the soldiers made the same uh, Inquiry, And John's response was, do violence to no man. Now, why do you suppose he said that to the soldiers? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. So that's uh, St. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now let's look at these uh, verses a little closer, and I will tell you that throughout the course of this conversation, we'll also reference Luke chapter 19, verse 2, but we won't read it. We'll also look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44, but we won't read it. You can reference it later if you wish. And lastly, we will reference uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Again, just if you want to look at that further, I'll make reference to it. Now let's zoom in just a little bit here now and, and, and look at this further and, and discuss it. When John uses the term fruit of repentance, what he's talking about is tangible evidence, outward evidence of an inward change. If you look up the, the definition of repentance, one definition means to have a change of mind or a change of heart. People are always talking about, uh, I've changed my mind. But what he says is there's got to be some evidence. And the language that he uses is fruit. What I have labeled this sermon or this, this conversation or this discussion as is the fruits of repentance going beyond symbolism to substance. Let's talk about what symbolism looks like. Symbolism looks like marching down the street and saying Black Lives Matter. Symbolism looks like uh, bringing your wife flowers when you've been out all night. Uh, it's a gesture, but it's not a substantive gesture. We've got to get beyond symbolism. We've got to start talking about doing what is right, and we've got to get to the business of doing what is right. So verse 8 is where John begins to drill down, and he says, look, there's got to be some physical, there's got to be some actual manifestation that you have changed your mind. We can talk all day, time out for talking, Time now is for doing. So the first observation that we make and we see in, in, in verse 8 is that, uh, that, that we move beyond symbolism. Baptism is actually a symbolic act, right? It 
symbolizes the death of the old man and what? The resurrection of the new man. It's good uh, to be baptized. Certain symbolism is good. But if all we have is symbolism, we have to be careful about that because sometimes if we march, we picket, and we protest, we might get the idea that we've actually done something of substance. And while that is a starting point, by no means is that the ending point. If we convince certain manufacturers to take certain images off of their products, those are symbolic acts. We love that, but does that change the crux and in in, in the, the main uh, experience that people who have previously been oppressed are having in America? The fact that certain images are being changed, that the Washington Redskins are changing uh, their image. They don't want to, but they're going to have to do it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm, as people say, I'm there. I'm, I'm with that. But we have to be careful that we don't park at symbolism, that we move beyond symbolism and that we get to substance. Because the work is not done. In fact, the work is never done. But if I could t- turn your attention to something else that, that John mentions in verse 8, he tells them, now, don't think just because you're the descendants or the children of Abraham that that in and of itself makes you secure, that makes you safe. And what he was telling them, in essence, was that your group affiliations, your familiar or familial associations and groupings cannot save you. What does that mean in terms of something that you and I can understand? I'm a Baptist. Some people might say, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Pentecostal, uh, I'm holiness, or I'm this, I'm that. Listen, what you label yourself as has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to be saved. Has nothing to do with repentance. Joining a particular organization does not save you. What saves you is your individual commitment and devotion to God. Your individual decision to turn away from your wicked ways and to turn to God. That is what saves you. So so John says, look, don't don't even go down that road. Don't even think that that just because you're the descendants of Abraham, that that gives you uh, uh, favoritism points with God. Just because your grandma was saved, just because your grandfather was the bishop and and your mother was an evangelist. Listen, that's great. That's wonderful. But that will not save you. This this walk is an individualized personal commitment. And so John tells them that out the gate. The next thing that, that is, is I would like to park on and think on and reflect on just a little bit more is in verse 10. Because in verse 10, he tells them that they have to bring forth fruits. He tells them earlier in verse 8, but then in verse 10, they begin to inquire and they ask, well, what must we do? And, and I want to point something out because that's important. That's serious. In order for you to change, you must have a desire 
to see what it is that you can do to make a difference. Or another way of looking at this is that you must be willing to examine yourself. If your thought is that everything is a-okay, then there's no room for improvement. There's no room for self-assessment. In other words, there's no room for growth. There's no room for change. We must always be asking ourselves as we stand in the presence of a holy and awesome and mighty God, what must I do? What must I do, Lord? What would you have me to do? When, when, when Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died, and, 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 the Lord was, and the Lord was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, when he saw the Lord, his visceral response was, what would you have me to do? If you need someone, here I am, send me. When Paul was on the road to Damascus and he had that supernatural encounter with Jesus and he fell to the ground and he was blind, blinded by the light, his visceral response was, what would you have me to do, Lord? And my, my, my thought is this, and John is making the point here, you cannot, you cannot have an encounter with the true and living God and not come away with the idea that there's something that you must do, that you must make yourself available, that you must surrender yourself, that you must be willing to change. You must be willing to engage in transformative change. Now, change happens on two levels. Micro, micro means small, right? Individual. We must be willing to change personally. But then on a macro level, uh, we must be willing to change in terms of our associations, in terms of our entire society. We must be willing to change. Repentance means changing, turning away from the wrong that we've done, and turning toward doing that which is right. It's all about change. But transformative change, not symbolic change, but actually substantive change. This is what John is talking about. Now then, so each of them, there are three groups, and I identified them as we were reading earlier. There are three groups that were present when John was preaching. The first is simply identified as the people, the masses, right? And they ask, um, well, what should we do? What should we do? And what he said to the people is, if you have two coats, give one of them to a person who doesn't have a coat at all. Or if you have a lot of food, give some of your food to a person or persons who don't have enough food. Now, that's huge. Why is that huge? Because, look, salvation looks like this. True righteousness, true godliness godliness looks like this. It makes you care about the people who are in arm's reach to you. 
And you can't claim that you know God and that you love God who you've not seen and you have no compassion for your fellow human being who you see every single day. And I'm concerned about this Western form of Christianity that allows us to amass great uh, fortunes unto ourselves. And as far as the poor and the, the, uh, the, dis- the, the unfortunate, to demonize them, to somehow say it's their own fault. And if we give them a penny, then we're hurting them. We need to teach them to be self-sufficient and individually rugged. All of that euphemistic nonsense that we preach even in our churches. No, real salvation, real connection, real repentance looks like I got to care about the people around me. I got to understand that when God gives me 10 apples, it's not so that I can sit there and eat them all, especially if there's people around me who have no apples. It's, I got to understand that at all times I am a steward of God's resources. And if I'm a steward, then I'm going to be held accountable. To whom much is given, what? Much is required. So John says to these people, listen, it's simple. It's simple. You don't have to make it too complex. If you've got two coats and you see someone who only has who has no coat, give them a coat. Now, what John is talking about there, if we break that down further, is proportionate giving, right? Because if you have one coat, he didn't say if you have one coat, give that away. Even though Jesus said if someone takes your coat or takes something, you know, Jesus is talking from a different level. But what John is saying is do what you can, what you're able to do. And the thing is, you can't fool God. God knows what each of us are able to do because he gave us the capacity. He gave us the innate ability. But John's basic point is if you've been living your life and your only focus has been about you or me and my four and no more, then you need to expand your, your scope of concern. You need to expand your span of concern. And that's real righteousness. That's real salvation. That's real holiness, caring about people. Not this John, which we're talking about John the Baptist, but John the Apostle in the book of 1 John three seventeen. He raised this question, how how, how can you say that the love of God dwells inside of you and you see your brother, you have and you have this this world's possessions and you see your brother in need and you shut up your bowels of compassion? How how, how does that work? What God are you serving? You remember when when this Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he he stopped into Samaria and the people would not uh, receive Jesus. And the disciples got hot, and they said, Jesus, you, you want us to uh, uh, call down fire from heaven like Elijah did, and burn these people up, show them who's, who's the boss? And I'm paraphrasing, but I know you get the crux of it, right? And what did Jesus say to them? What, what manner of spirit do you have? The Son of Man has come to save life, not to destroy it. And here's the point, and here's the connection. If you are filled with God's spirit, If Jesus is your Lord, then you need to behave like Jesus. And Jesus cared about people. He didn't make excuses. He didn't come up with lofty principles and and doctrines that excused 
him and, and other people that had privilege and had power and influence from doing what is right, simply caring about those that God has put in your arms reach. And I know I'm taking a lot of time, but it's important. Because this is a fruit. This is one of the fruits of repentance that John the Baptist identified to the masses. He didn't tell them to go to the temple and to make elaborate sacrifices and to burn certain fragrances because people were all about the ritual, right? They're all about the symbolism. They're all about even putting money in the plate at church. And maybe you should do all of those things, but in all that you do, do not forget your fellow human being. So let's talk about the second group of individuals. And that's in verse 12 and 13. The publicans, not the Republicans, but the publicans. Who were the publicans? Well, they were tax collectors, right? And they were despised by the Jews because the Romans had come into Palestine and conquered them and the Romans were exacting taxes annually or how, however often they had to pay them from the people. And the publicans were Hebrews or Jews that were collecting taxes for the Romans and getting wealthy. And this is how they were getting wealthy. They were skimming. How were they skimming? If the Romans said that your taxes were $10, they would tell the people the Romans said your taxes was $15. Guess what would happen to the additional five? Go in their pockets. And so they became very, very wealthy. So they were despised for two reasons. That they were cooperating with the man. They were, op they were helping uh, a conquering, invading power keep them underfoot. Keep helping the, the, the oppressive Romans uh, op keep, his, keep their foots on their neck. So, and, and there have been publicans in every society. They weren't always called by that name. They've been called by many different names, but at the end of the day, that, that concept is, is, is as old as recorded history. You know, helping the oppressor is a job that pays well. It always has and it always will. So here, the, here, here come the publicans saying, okay, what must we do? Now their pockets are filled, right, with lots of money, right? And what does John say to them? First of all, what does he say to them? Don't collect more money than you're supposed to. Why? Because they were robbing the people blind. What they did was a double form of oppression. So, you know, you can, you can say, I love God all day long, but if you're doing things that are financially uh, stressful and burdensome to the masses, uh, then you need to stop doing that. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. You need to demonstrate the fact that you actually have had a change of heart and a change of mind. So he tells the, 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 the publican straight up, you're hustling, you're skimming, you're oppressing the people, stop it. Now, I reference uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 2 and 8. In that passage, what we see is a... a a giant of a man, actually he's a small man, but what he does is very ginormous. I know that's not a word, but I think you get the concept. His name is Zacchaeus. 
And he is identified in scripture as the chief of the publicans. So not just a tax collector, not just a jerk, not just one of the guys who are helping the man keep his foot on on our necks, but he is the main one in that town. Chief of the publican, Zacchaeus, short guy. He wanted to see Jesus. He knows that he can't get to him, so he goes and he jumps up in a sycamore tree, and Jesus comes down the road, sees Zacchaeus, and says, Hey, man, come down. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. Now, right then, a lot of church folk, and in fact, a lot of church folk did. It's like, well... This dude called himself a prophet. He hanging out with the publicans. I know he ain't got the spirit of God in him. We're always passing judgment on the people and the men and women of God because we don't have, we don't really know what the plan of God is. That's how we can so, uh, so gratuitously uh, pass judgment on God's people because we don't have God's mind. We don't know what God's actually doing. All right, but so Zacchaeus, uh, gladly invites Jesus to his house. He invites his publican friends. Jesus, the Bible doesn't really tell us what Jesus says to them. But at some point, Zacchaeus makes an announcement. He says, I am going to give the half of my goods to the poor. Now, why do you think Zacchaeus says that? Because Zacchaeus knew, first of all, that half of what he got, he got from ripping people off. And here's the, this is a beautiful picture of repentance because you cannot say, I'm sorry for ripping people off, God, I forgive, and then go continue to put your money in the bank. There's a concept in law called disgorgement. And if you got a million dollars through stealing, then you need to pay back a million dollars. That's just how it goes. But Zacchaeus goes one step further. He says, and if I have taken anything by false pretense from anyone, I'll pay back fourfold. That is repentance. That's putting the rubber on the road. Why is that important? Because right now, in America today, we're having a conversation about whether or not uh, African Americans are entitled to reparations. Well, let's deal with these Zacchaeus-type repentance. Let's deal with these concepts of fruits of repentance that, that John the Baptist presented. Let's talk Bible. Since we love Bible in America, let's talk Bible. Let's talk biblical principles. Biblical principles uh, lay down this reality. If you got wealthy through uh, stealing and through false dealing, then you need to pay it back. Now, you know what? Jesus didn't tell him to pay anything back. Jesus didn't demand anything. But when that man truly repented, when that man truly had a change of heart, that man said, I need to give it up. I need to give up this ill-gotten gains. Again, legally, we call that disgorgement. America wants to do everything but disgorge. We want to build monuments. We want to force people to change the labels on their products. All of that is wonderful. We want to pass hollow and empty laws. If they were enforced, that would be great. But at the end of the day, if you have become wealthy through ripping people off, then you need to pay back. That is a biblical principle. I didn't say it. John said it. And Zacchaeus demonstrated it. And I just don't happen to believe that this is in God's word just by coincidence. 
It is in God's word for those who are really truly seeking God's will right now. For such a time as this, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who say that, that God's word is the absolute standard by which all human beings should live their life, then live your life by God's word. Walk according to his principles and his truths. All right. You might detect that I'm a little bit emotionally invested in this topic, but why not? Why not speak truth? Now, of course, I'm speaking now on the macro level, but again, let's come back to the micro level. Because individually, we have done people wrong. And we have done wrong that we have the ability to write. Don't be going to people and saying, if I have offended you, when you know you've offended them. If I have offended you, I apologize. If I have done something wrong, I apologize. Please forgive me. No, come with the real stuff. Brother, sister, I did you wrong. Brother, sister, and if if you've done something that caused people financial harm and you have the present ability to remedy that, then you need to remedy that on an individual level. This is a lived experience. This is not a theoretical experience. Our walk with Christ is a lived experience, not just having the right ideas in our head, but it's not, these ideas have to translate to some type of transformative action and how we treat our fellow human beings. Now let me get to my last thought. The last group of people that came to Jesus were the, the, the Roman soldiers. It's interesting because they, they were powerful, right? I mean, they had the ability to kill um, those in Palestine that they felt were a threat to calm, safety, uh, the Roman Empire. But they came to this rugged, eccentric, some people thought was halfway out of his mind, uh, prophet John the Baptist eating honey and locusts. They said to him, so what must we do? And, and, and John, I, I just get the sense that he was not the kind of guy that, that, that uh, tried to shave things and, and try to put a soft edge on it. He just came with it. And what he said to them is do no violence. Now, in the, in the context of our national conversation, I think that this is so powerful. Because what people back then, it was just people with swords, but it would be the equivalent of guns. What people with the power of the state to take life and death may be prone to do is to be excessively violent. And John says, do no violence to no man. And I'm sure that John was addressing an an ongoing current problem that was happening at that time. Stop the violence. He didn't say go to the temple and make sacrifices. He didn't say, uh, come to the, the temple on a regular basis. 
He didn't say uh, try to be like the Pharisees. He didn't say try to be like the Sadducees. He didn't say try to be like the scribes. He didn't say any of that. He said stop doing violence. And who was he talking about? To the oppressed. To those who had no uh, recourse, who had no ability to, de to defend themselves, who had no uh, legal protection in the courts as they existed. The Romans could just take your life on the spot. And John says, in effect, you've been abusing your power. Stop it. And I think that's a word for today, folks. If John the Baptist were here today, not, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking against law enforcement officers, but some, too many, John would have the same message. Stop abusing black and brown and poor and mentally ill people. Stop abusing your authority. Do violence to no man. Then he says, don't make false accusations. <laughs> and has it ever been the case that people have found themselves in jail, prison, or some other place that they didn't want to be because someone in authority has made false accusations about them or against them? Here's the thing. People don't change. Power corrupts absolutely, and absolute power corrupts. You've heard, you ever heard that saying before? It's true. Most people can't handle power. Most people do not need to be in a position where they have power because they don't know how to use it. And there's a very high risk that it will be abused. Do no violence to no man. Make no false accusations. And be happy with your wages. Be content with your wages. Why did he say that? That seems like just maybe an outline. No, because people in positions of power, one way or one reason that they do wrong things is because they want more money. Or they don't think that they're being paid enough, that their, their value is not uh, being appreciated. So many things come back to the love of money. So many things. Uh, Paul said, the love of money, not, people sometimes misquote that, the love of money is the root of all evil. So, fruits of repentance. Well, it's not pie in the sky. It's not overly theoretical. It's not esoteric. But what you should have noticed about each of those things is that what he's talking about is not so much vertical repentance. And let me explain what I mean when I say vertical. Between me and God. I'm sorry, God. I'll never do this again. I'll never do X and Y and Z again. That's vertical. What he's talking about is horizontal. How I treat my fellow human being. So much, if you go back and you read the scriptures, Israel found itself on the wrong side of God's uh, favor many times. But more often than not, it wasn't because they were out there worshiping other gods, even though they did that frequently, according to the word of God. But very often it was because of how the poor were being treated. How the widows were being treated. How the fatherless were being treated. How the strangers who were the minorities, how the aliens were being treated. 
What we need to see is vertical, not vertical, but horizontal repentance. We need both, but, but what John stressed and he emphasized was how we treat, because we can measure that. That's quantifiable. There's just no way, no way that I can say I love God and I can't stand my fellow human being. There's no way, uh, sister, brother, pastor, that, that I can say that I'm in an intimate relationship with Christ and I'm a racist. And I don't like white people. Or I don't like black people. Or I don't like those people. All men and women, of course, are created in the likeness and image of God. And we need to start treating people as though they are the property of God, as though they are the crowning creation of God. Because if we don't, there will be an accounting one day. And that brings us back to verse 8. A lot of times when people are coming into church and they're quote-unquote repenting, they're just simply trying to escape the wrath to come. Another way that we used to say that is we don't really want to be saved. We just want fire insurance. We don't want to go to hell. If your motivation for coming to God is just to escape punishment, then my friend, you've got the wrong idea. And you will not accomplish what you are hoping to accomplish. Bring forth genuine fruits of repentance. Genuine fruits of repentance. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being attentive. Now let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are challenged. We're called. We're commanded to bring forth fruits of repentance. It's not theoretical. It's not ideological. It's just practical. Start treating people the way that we want to be treated. Stop mistreating people. Stop oppressing. Stop taking stuff from people. Stop being callous and cold and indifferent to the sufferings of our brothers and sisters. Stop carefully characterizing and narrowly uh, describing who we consider to be our brothers and sisters. Teach us and help us and lead us, O oh God, to be more like you. Bring us to the place of transformative repentance. We ask this humbly in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that you were strengthened by the word. If this message touched you in any way, please let us know by reaching out to us online or on social media. Also, please share this podcast and help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by going to our website, accalltofreedom.com, or go through Cash App. We are Freedom FMC. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you until we meet again. Amen.